Welcome to the Simon Short Podcast. I am Simon Short, part of championsportsmedia.com. I am here with my buddy, Muhammad Mehdi. Muhammad is a longtime, very positive, very supporting Detroit Lions fan. Um, uh, you know, so thoughts and thoughts to him and, you know, he'll put his Venmo in at the end that you can <laughs> give him a little gift to. Um, I am a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So Muhammad and I had a great time. It is uh, November 18th. So five days ago or so on Sunday, Muhammad and I had a great uh, morning slash afternoon watching Lions Steelers end in a tie. And I wanted to talk to Muhammad about this specifically because I am a little worried that I was seeing a bit of my future as a uh, fan of a football sports team, watching his team play and the way that looked and Muhammad cheering for the tie at the end of the game while, while we're talking. And I'm sitting there just being mad at the world. And we'll get into that a little bit more here in a bit, but welcoming in Muhammad. Muhammad, how's it going, man? Just hanging out. I'm celebrating tie Tuesday on this Thursday. <laughs> Uh, love it. Well, actually, I hate it. So let me let me say this. When we got on, I was describing this game just absolutely broke me like for the for the day. My, my wife was gone. She was out doing something and something that was also not not very fun. And she was texting me about it. And I was, she was like, well, at least how's the game going? I was just like, well, we're tied to the Lions in the fourth quarter and their quarterback can't even throw the ball. So I'm having a terrible day. And she like actually felt bad for me. She's never felt bad for me for sports before. And this happened. Um, I don't know about you, Muhammad. I watch every game on Sunday. So from, I live in New Mexico. So from 11 a.m. here to 9.30 p.m., I'm watching football on Sunday. When that game ended, I did not watch the afternoon game, the middle game, which was Chiefs Packers that, or Packers Seahawks that day. Um, although I probably should have watched it because it would have made me feel better. I didn't watch it till the second half. And then the Sunday night game, even I had it on, but I wasn't super invested and I was just depressed. So how were you feeling? Like I said, you were elated. So walk us through. You guys got a tie, not another loss. How do the Detroit Lions fans feel this week? Yeah, so how you were feeling for this one game is pretty much how I was feeling all of the games, right? Like I, I think of that Justin Tucker kick uh, in, the, in the Ravens game a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, and I was just so hyped when we scored that, that touchdown, got the lead, and three seconds to go, 66 yard kick. And I just wanted to just like walk out. So <clears throat> welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for me, looking at where we were, we were at this 0-8 juncture coming off a of bye week. I remember texting you before I was like, yo, it's a trap game. You know, we're coming off a of bye. Uh, we got our left tackle back, you know, so things were looking good. Um, and, and then, uh, I saw Jared Goff in the first half and uh, it just was uh, super depressing to see him um, not being able to throw the ball. And I, I was a little confused by Dan Campbell's decision to, to keep him on. Um, I mean, there's not really much depth uh, with, with our QBs, but um, so I was a little puzzled on that, but I think the one highlight for me and part of why I was so excited was the run game and to see Alliance running back, go for over a hundred yards. Uh, and you know, that's not the only time this season. Um, so that's just, for me, it's finding the little silver linings. Um, obviously I wanted to win, um, but seeing, I guess the, <laughs> 
I guess <laughs> I'm thinking of not wanting to be the first 0-17 team ever. And so if we end the season 0-16 and 1, hey, it's not 0-17, you know. So um, obviously still wanting that one win. Um, and we're playing the Browns this upcoming week. Uh, so that would be a great win. Uh, you know, the Browns are just got blown out. Um, so I'm, I'm really feeling like a one, eight and one would feel like a good little one sandwich, I guess, or an eight sandwich. <laughs> All right. I want to come back to actually wanting that win because there, there's some interesting things coming off of that. Obviously when you get into like draft implications and things and the Texans are the only other team, um, that only have one win other teams have, have more than that. So it's really like you and the Texans right now. We'll come back to that. Let's come back to the game a little. I want to start at the end because this was where we got into you being done with the game at the end of the fourth quarter, accepting your loss, coming to the end of regulation and jokingly mentioned a tie. And then it was, let me, let me just read. So these are the possessions from overtime. We'll skip into overtime. At this point, this was where you were optimistically saying, let's get a tie. Lions get the ball first, four plays, punt. And you were like, oh, it's over. Steelers get the ball. Oh, this will be great. Okay, Najee Harris runs the ball. Mason Rudolph, big pass to Deontay Johnson, gets 39 yards, then decides to run across the field, fumble. You said, we're back. We're going to (laughs) win. You guys get the ball. Five plays, you drive, miss the field goal. You said, oh, we lost. Steelers get the ball back. Three plays, punt. You're like... Uh, I'm done at this point. I'm, I'm just done. You were done at this point, halfway through overtime, wanting to tie. We get another punt by the Lions, and then we get the uh, great fumble by Pat, Pat Firemuth, um, and that ends the game. So just kind of teetering. I mean, that that's overtime. Overtime, we had, each team had three possessions of the ball, which is just insane. Nobody, I hate to say this because I don't believe in the, these sorts of things, but nobody wanted to win. Um, but backing up all the way to the beginning of the game, what were you feeling on that 10 play drive by the Steelers that ended in touchdown and it was seven, nothing after the first drive of the game? Well, so looking at the, the Lions this whole season, the first half has just never been good for us. Uh, I, I think Dan Campbell has a certain grittiness and resilience and, and always seems to bring the team back there, save like the Philly game, um, and one other game we, and I think it was the Bengals game we've been competitive. Right. And so we go down seven, nothing. I'm still kind of like, uh, I, I think we'll, we'll at least keep it close. Like I, I, I rarely think we're going to get like blown out, even though we are, we were and eight coming to the game. So, you know, it was a bummer seeing our, our defense kind of fall apart like that to, to a backup quarterback. And I know you have your reservations about Mason. Um, but yeah, he did look good on that drive. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so for me, it's just looking at this Lions team and looking how resilient they are. I mean, the coach came out like before, like six months before the first games, like we're going to go in and we're going to bite people's kneecaps off. Right. Like what a weirdo, but I love it. It's, it's, it's great energy. And I think for a team that's in this weird rebuild phase, there weren't many expectations coming into the season. Uh, but I think every Lions fan wants to see a competitive team, you know, um, of course we want to go into playoffs. Of course we want, the elated Super Bowl appearance, which will hopefully happen. But I think it's just it's just great to to know that even when we were down seven nothing, uh, that the the team is re- resilient and and would come back. But um, 
Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine after like the first drive of a game to just be like, well, this one's over too. We're going to lose. So if you, you keep that up, but that's totally true. I mean, that team, they're going to play as hard as they can all the way through. And that's part of why they were, you know, able to manage at least a tie in this one. So yeah, you mentioned Mason Rudolph. That, that first drive was, that was fool's gold all the way. I mean, that, that play, I mean, even the touchdown, your cornerback like fell down, like looked the wrong way. Like he was, James Washington was wide open in the end zone and it wasn't even like a great ball to him. Like you still had to jump for it uncontested. And, you know, you would like to think that a wide open touchdown like that would just be like easy pitch and catch sort of deal or like he threw him open or something like that. But no, your defender completely got lost. Washington was wide open, 10 yards all around him. And Mason still like kind of threw it off target. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to cheer for the touchdown, but I don't necessarily feel good about that. And there is something to like opening scripts, right? And like, okay, how do we want to attack these guys right off the bat? And um, this was a rare instance. The Steelers are not very good, especially these last two years of opening drive scores. And it was a rare instance of like having a really good plan of attack and, and executing that. And then it was just a mess from there. So you mentioned the running game. That's definitely, that, I mean, that's the difference maker. It all things kind of melded together at once where I think it wasn't until the second quarter that the Steelers got their first sack. They ended up with four in this game. And it seems like as soon as they got that first lick on Goff, that was when he only started passing the ball one out of every four or five plays, if that. Um, and the running game really got going. You said it, one of your first uh rushers single rushers over 100 yards in, in a while you guys rush for over 200 yards um if any listeners listeners to this want to get a really good breakdown on how the lines were able to make that happen go over to sealersdepot.com alex kazora did a really good film breakdown on pretty much that whole stretch the second quarter through like the middle to end of the third where the lines just really took over with the running game and you mentioned uh left tackle coming back. Um, you've been without your starting left tackle for most of the season. Penny Sewell was over there. Um, this allowed you guys, what happened was your the tackle that was starting, who was supposed to be your backup, they went in with a heavy front. They went with the tackle eligible. They really just went heavy on the Steelers defense that um, can absolutely take a punch in the mouth, but we're not ready for this. They you know, just ran the ball down their throats. And it was, I almost think, getting run on is more depressing than, you know, what we see most of the time. Like if you watch, you know, your Tom Brady's or maybe not these last two weeks, but the rest of the season, Matt Stafford or Dak Prescott. And like, it sucks to get picked apart with the passing game, but it's kind of like watching the Warriors and just seeing them shoot threes. It's like, there's nothing we can do about that. Like this is the NFL we're going to get passed on, but man, just sitting there and watching the lions run through this Pittsburgh defense was just, it was especially depressing. Um, I wanted to, this will kind of lead into our next topic here in a bit, but you mentioned it. The philosophy now is definitely kind of like the grit and grind, right, of this team. Um, I don't know if it's because they know who they have in Goff and he's not going to be lighting the world on fire. I don't know if it's the wide receivers or if it's just we're going to set a mentality and run the ball. But your offensive line from a run blocking standpoint actually hasn't been that bad this year. What what do you know about just kind of the is is that something to expect like the rest of the year? Is this team just gonna say we know what we do? We're just gonna try to keep running the ball and 
move forward with that? Philosophy is super interesting because Lions teams of the past have just been pass heavy, right? Like it's been a 70-30. And so to see a such a dedicated approach to, to the run game, and I think it goes back to, to Dan Campbell and his uh, philosophy of old school football. We're going to just, you know, punch them <laughs> right in the throat uh, and <laughs> – and just, just keep running, running back. And especially with Taylor Decker coming back, the left tackle, um, it, it definitely opens up a, a lot of, a lot of running room and who knows what's going on with Jared Goff. They named, they named a, a body part of him that's injured. And I don't even know what that is. That's, it's the first time I've oh ever gosh. heard of that. Bone. It's like his oblique. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. You haven't heard of, a, of an oblique? No, I was, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's his oblique. Yeah. The, yeah. Funky right so, in the, yes. the hip area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's injured. And who knows how long, you know, he's going to be out. And so obviously not quarterback of the future. Um, and, and so I think if we have a strength, DeAndre Swift is is definitely one of our, our biggest strengths on offense. Uh, in the run game, as well as the short passes, I, I think he's like our second leading receiver um, and then leader in rush yards. So, you know, if, if, if he can carry the load of an injured passing game or, you know, injured quarterback plus a lack of a passing game, we also don't really have that much wide receiver depth or talent. So, uh, I, I mean, if we have a, a solid offensive line, which again, in years past, hasn't necessarily been the case, um, especially in the run game, uh, it might be time to ride the horse and, and take DeAndre Swift to, to, to try to win out, win something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this leads great into what we're going to be talking about next. So just, like I said, my biggest fear watching this game was, is this my future? Is this, am I going to have to watch this kind of football kind of moving forward? So what I want to talk about first is, is the lines moving forward? So like you said, I mean, Goff is obviously under contract for like three more years after this and that big money and big dead, dead money hit if they were to move on from him or anything. Um, what, what do you expect this team to kind of do? You haven't had to see your team go through a franchise quarterback change since 08, 09 when they drafted Stafford. So what do you expect their kind of solution to be short term over the next, like literally going into next year? Like, do you think they'll ride it out with golf? Do you think they'll do something in draft? What, what, what are you kind of expecting or even hoping for? Yeah. So I guess the dream scenario is we either pick up a young quarterback um, in the draft uh, which I know there's not that much talent. Um, Cole Johnson from JMU would be a good pickup. <laughs> just oh, kidding. Uh, but yes, just picking someone. The up next Ben DiNucci. <laughs> or Ben DiNucci, yes, from the Cowboys. <laughs> uh, getting him. Um, or, you know, getting a, uh, a young quarterback uh, that is, uh, you know, already on a team that's backing uh, up a, a veteran. Um, but really giving them a year or two. To, to study up while, while our team rebuilds, you know, we're obviously not in a win now mode. Uh, so there are no expectations. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be like a situation where, uh, you know, the Browns have had several quarterbacks uh, before Baker Mayfield that, you know, got the start and then it ruined their careers for a variety of reasons, injuries, or, you know, uh, the sting of losing just kind of got to him. So, um, you know, let's ride Goff while we rebuild. We're already paying him. Uh, and then do this Brett Favre and Rogers deal um, where, you know, the, the quarterback gets some time to study. And uh, we don't mess with Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Let me <laughs> throw that out there. Uh, but 
just I'm more I'm more hung up on you just put you just equated Goff to Brett Favre in this scenario. That was a hey, he's been to the Super Bowl and before the season. I was actually pretty hyped for for Goff, but um, my expectations definitely got leveled uh as as a season one but yes just giving giving a quarterback some time to to study learn up the game um particularly if they're a rookie quarterback uh we were uh definitely blessed with matt stafford uh for a number of years and and didn't have to worry about uh, a quarterback and i I think what was specially what was special with him was kind of that drive to win no matter what the circumstances were or um, how far down the team was, I think there's a level of grit and intensity. And, and I think uh, that's a hard skill to build. And uh, I'm not sure that Goff has it, but uh, maybe we can find someone in the draft that, that has that hunger and drive that, that wants to win. And hopefully we can build a team around them. Um, and of, of course, adding a, a level of, of wide receivers that can uh, kind of, you know, make it easier. Uh, you know, we're building up that run game right now. Um, if we add some talent at the wide receiver level too, uh, it, it should help. Yeah, right now, the only people under contract at, at receiver next year for the Lions are Amon Ross St. Brown, who was a mid to late round pick in this year's draft, but everyone seems to really like him. And Quintez Cephas, who had a nice start to the season and is currently injured, um, but he has a few more years left on his contract as well. Who are those two guys? Are those guys like are they real? Are they actual, like, do you just need a complimentary guide to them or are they like just getting the targets and catches right now? And if you want to have real, a real team, you have to go and get guys that are not them. Are they, are they complimentary players? Are they, can they actually be part of a real core or what? Yeah, I think right now it's just kind of a, (laughs) they're just kind of placeholders is is what it feels like. It, It doesn't seem, you know, uh, St. Brown is, uh, hopefully, uh, someone that's going to be good for us, um, consistent, but yeah, I'm thinking of a deep threat, right? We've had Marvin Jones. We've had Kenny Galladay, the, the, you know, the, the deep wide receiver, someone who can go for the long ball. Um, and so I think that might be an area in the draft this, this coming year that we can look for, for someone to compliment St. Brown, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, our core right now is, you know, we, we have a few injuries, uh, Hawkinson's great at tight end, uh, but that's pretty much, I think he's our leading receiver, right? Like having a tight yeah, end as your absolutely. leading receiver is, is kind of trash. So I'm really hoping and I mean, pick someone yeah, up, and, you know, and we've seen what it, what it looks like, right. Cause now teams are just like, Oh, let's just cover Hawkinson. And like, he hasn't, you know, these last couple of weeks have been, uh, pretty tough on him. So that's, yeah, that's not, that's not great. I'm trying to look up. I looked up, uh, Quintez Cephas's 40 time earlier today. That was like a four, eight. So that's uh-huh. definitely not good in terms of being that deep threat option like you're talking right. about. Let me see if I can find Monra St. Brown. Um, but what's up with Hawkinson? Tell me a little bit about that. Why he he's absolutely your best, you know, receiving option right now. I mean, I guess DeAndre Swift might be, which is hilarious that it's not a wide receiver. But Hawkinson is are we gonna see him be like his rookie year again? Are we gonna see him kind of explode back up or is he was he more a product of he had a really good quarterback and he was the tight end and and kind of right there like what what can we expect from him moving forward yeah I mean I think he's definitely special talent and uh, Matt Stafford was able to take advantage of it and and I think like you, you mentioned teams are recognizing that this is a hurt primary receiving threat and are able to lock him down so I think as hopefully this running game does uh 
hopefully continues to progress and, and uh, becomes our, our significant threat, it, it, it should hopefully open up some, some routes for, uh, for Hawkinson to, to catch the ball and develop. Um, but part of it is also, I think, Goff's injury and figuring out where he's at, how healthy is he. Um, put in David Blau, maybe. <laughs> maybe that helps. Thanksgiving um, Day but, hero. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's definitely here to stay. And uh, I've, I've been so disappointed by our management and uh, how we let go of our receiving talent. You know, like letting go of Kenny Galladay, even Marvin Jones Jr. I remember I was uh, super sad to see him go. Um, Calvin Johnson obviously retired a number of years ago, but it just seems like there seems to be some inconsistency in retaining our top talent. Um, and, you know, there we've had a number of coaching changes as well. And I wasn't the biggest fan of Matt Patricia, <laughs> and that might have been part of it. But it just seems like it's been this culture issue where uh, we, we had this talent and, and Matt Stafford was able to take advantage of, of no matter who we had. Jared Goff may not be the uh someone who can do that um but you know hopefully we can kind of add in this new quarterback in in the future to to take advantage and hopefully we can take hang on a tj uh in the meantime let's go over to the defense i mean the offense while while a little bit of a mess it's pretty straightforward right you need some wide receivers you eventually need a, a real quarterback that all makes sense can you tell me what is going on with this defense? I, I look back at it today and, you know, you, you kind of remember things when you, when you read rosters. So guys like Michael Brockers, guys like Nick Williams, guys like Flowers and Mabin, Anzalone, like all these names that just kind of appear when you watch a Lions game and you're like, wait, wasn't he, wasn't he? So like, right. What, what's going on here? There, there's a it's, bunch of veteran linebackers who all play and they're kind of all over the place. And like some of them are kind of good. And just what what's the deal with the defense? Yeah, it seems like we kind of patched guys together to, to make this defense. Uh, and, and that's not the best solution. You know, there, there's one standout. Tracy Walker has been, I, I think, having the best season of his career. And, and uh, I think he went down with an injury, but he's still practicing. Um, and we have this weird defensive line linebacker situation where we have some vets at, at the front and then rookies or, uh, young players and, and as backing them up. Um, and so, you know, our defense last year was awful <laughs> and our defense continues this year to be, uh, equally as bad. And I'm not, I don't know what goes on in the first half too. Um, it just seems like, you know, similar to what happened in the first drive, it just seems like, okay, let's let them get that one. Um, and then we'll shore up, um, in, in the second half. Um, and it might just be like a culture thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, ideally you would think that, uh, having these vets would help to secure the, the, uh, um, the rush defense. And then that translates into the secondary, None of that seems to be happening, and it might just be a lack of communication. Uh, we're letting, and we face some pretty good quarterbacks, obviously not Mason Rudolph, but over this past season where uh, they've been able to expose us um, and, and some of the, the weaknesses. But to, to have like a Mason Rudolph expose our weaknesses, that's, that's not good. Uh, and, and over the past few weeks, uh, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and I see like five or six guys on IR. Um, and, and so that might be part of it. Um, but 
this isn't our future, right? This core uh, definitely needs some reshaping, remodeling. Um, and and I, I think in this transition, having, I guess this weird year is okay. Um, but when we are looking in that win now mode and we do have this roster that's ready to win, uh, we can't be having uh, quarterbacks or running backs running all over us or torching us up. Like we need, we need to, to secure this, um, especially with an injured quarterback. Yeah, so you, you mentioned like you've got the vet. So linebacker is the especially interesting position. I mean, defensive line is pretty straightforward. You guys you are normally in a 3-4 defense. Michael Brockers is your big ticket guy coming over from the Rams. Um, Aleem McNeil, I believe, was a, a third round pick a couple years ago. He seems to be the guy in the middle. And then right now, Nick Williams is the other starter over there as, as your other, you know, kind of end in the in the 3-4. And you've got the rookie Levi on Muzurike behind him. So that seems like it's a natural kind of takeover. Could I be happening at some point? Um, the linebackers, it's where it gets really, really pretty funny. So you've got Trey Flowers there. He's another big money guy. He's on, in for the next few years. And then you have uh, Charles Harris, who free agent after this year, Alex Anzalone, who's a free agent after this year, Jalen Reeves Maben, who's a free agent after this year. All those guys are basically on the vet minimum. Um, it sounds like whenever I do catch a Lions game that Alex Anzalone is a guy that like everybody loves, but there's a reason he was a four-year player for the Saints and then came to the Lions and we haven't really heard his name much. And, you know, so you've got these three vets who are starting with Flowers back there. And then you have, you know, these young guys, like you mentioned, you have Julian Aquara, Aquaro, you have, um, a guy that I really liked in Derek Barnes from Purdue kind of in the middle. And then obviously you're looking at potentially a, a very high pick this year. So is that linebacker core kind of what you expect to see that biggest transition from you mentioned like this, you know, weird transition year is a nice way to put it, but you know, the, the year from hell kind of deal. Um, it, could you see all of those veteran linebackers just kind of get swooped away? Or do you think someone like Anzalone or, um, Harris or, or somebody you see one of them getting kind of re-signed and, and moving forward with the young guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think definitely like retaining one or two of them. Uh, I haven't been like tremendously impressed. So I, if we can find someone in the draft, I'm obviously trying, look, seeing teams that are constructed from free agency and uh, trying to sign what we've been doing this year. Uh, it's great and all, but if we can, you know, bring in young talent um, and uh, have have them, I guess, while we are in this transition, get some real playing time. I think I'm in for that rather than giving these vets, um, <laughs> you know, great for their careers, great for for them to get some some playing time, but. Uh, to, to really, I guess, step out of the way, uh, give, give some time uh, for the for the young bloods to, to really get some chemistry together um, and, and, and form into, get some leadership experience, form into to, to, uh, tip-top shape um, and lead the defense. Um, but uh, I, I have been impressed by Trey Flowers. I, Trey Flowers and Charles Harris, I think they've, they've really been, been anchoring the, the, the rush defense uh, to the best of their ability. Um, but yeah, if we can, I guess, get th that position solidified, 
um, then we can focus our attention on the, on the, the secondary and, and, you know, shore up the run, de run defense, pressure the quarterback, secondary gets better automatically. So. So, I mean, so what transition to the defensive backs, I remember in the 2020 draft, you, when you had the third overall pick and it's Jeffrey Okuda comes up and I, and I text you and I say, man, that guy is going to be running around for 10 seconds trying to cover people. And obviously he's dealt with a bunch of injuries these first two years anyways, but it's, it's so hard to tell. So tell me as a person that watches every game, is there somebody in this defensive backfield? I know you, you mentioned um, your, your safety Walker, who's a free agent. So hopefully they resign him, but is there, are there corners? Are there safeties? Are there people in this defensive backfield that can be worked with and, and turned into something? And we just can't see that right now because there's no pass rush because the, you know, run defense is so sloppy or is, is there going to be a need to be an investment in the defensive backfield just as much as the front seven at some point soon. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some talent. I think uh, with Okuda being out, um, it, it's definitely been been harder uh, for, for the secondary secondary to shore up. Um, Oruwariya has been been really solid for us. Um, I think he's had a few interceptions and, and mm -hmm. definitely defended um, pretty well. Uh, D Marlowe, I know he, he's a Jamie guy. I've seen him for, for a few tackles for losses. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that he can step up as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think if we can really get, start getting that pressure up and, and, uh, you know, getting our, our guys into the backfield, uh, where we're getting these tackles for losses or, um, you know, pressuring the quarterback and actually getting some hits, uh, it makes the secondary so much better, but uh, similar to what with the the linebacker and defensive uh, line situation, I, I think it just needs some time to gel. Um, but again, I, I think with similar to to how you know you always want to build with O line, I, I think with cornerbacks, uh, particularly with this group, um, wanting to to look into the draft to see if we can get anybody. Um, you know, maybe not with the first pick, but looking maybe third, fourth, or fifth round um, at some corners. I, I think we can definitely add some talent, um, particularly when we have uh, guys go down with injuries. Yeah, and I mean, so you definitely have that, <clears throat> you know, you kind of look up and down this this depth chart and this roster, and there's definitely those third, fourth round, second round, like every spot on the defense has somebody in that, in that realm. I mean, Owarie, like you mentioned, he was a, a third, fourth round pick. Derek Barnes, who we mentioned a bit ago, was a fourth round pick this last year. Aquaro was a third round pick uh, two years ago. Um, Levi Ozurike was a second round pick. So you definitely have that. And it definitely seems like you're missing that blue chipper. So looking ahead, here's some optimism. I'm going to come back to, to that topic we, were, we touched on earlier with, with the draft and, and trying to get a win or two. This team has a chance to obviously have the number one pick in the draft. The top rated guy in the draft kind of all along has been Kayvon Thibodeau, who is an outside linebacker slash defensive end in this, in your three, four scheme. I'm sure he would uh, be an outside linebacker standing up. Um, if, if you guys scrape together a win or two and, and the Texans kind of continue where they're at if you, if you pull a Jets Jaguars this year um how much could it really set you 
set the Lions back to miss out on, on that kind of blue chip guy? Or do you think like Dan Campbell is the kind of coach that just, you know, hey, just give me whoever and we'll make it work. And also, if you don't get that number one pick, you know, you mentioned it's not a great quarterback class. So right now, if you look at like Todd McShay's top prospects, it is a lot of like defensive players. There's a, a more classic defensive end. There's, you know, a safety, there's a corner. But obviously, Kayvon is, is that number one guy as an elite level pass rusher. Do you think this team still goes defense if they can't get that number one guy? Do you think they, you know, make a trade? Do they trade back and try to get a receiver or safety or something? Or, you know, what do you, what the heck do you think could happen? Yeah, I mean, it looks like our management is actually competent now. For, for like the longest time, we would just make these dumb decisions uh, in, the, in the draft. And, and so I think if we, um, so the ideal scenario um, is one win, right, in the one tie. And we're like one fifteen and one, and that's the dream. I'm good. Lose the rest of the games. I just don't want to be winless. Um, so if we can do that, get the number one pick, that's great. Um, and then you know, uh, Kayvon would be, uh, I think, a great addition to our team to to what we talked about with that young talent. That uh, I, I guess that that hunger to win as well uh, coming from Oregon, um, but I, I think if we missed out on him. Uh, I, it's hard to tell because I think Dan Campbell is that guy that really wants to, you know, take whatever he has, let's go do it. Um, and I may just be an optimistic Lions fan, but I think if a few things, few plays go our way this season, we're probably three, have at least three wins a season. Um, and, and so I think if we add just a little bit more talent, um, we can definitely turn, turn the ship around. Um, and so the, the two other positions, if we, if we don't get a uh, defensive lineman, I think cornerback or wide receiver, um, I'm not sure uh, what the prospects are for those uh, positions, particularly in the first round. Um, but I, I'm just thinking of some talent that we can uh, help with, with Jared Goff. Uh, you know, we've seen Jared Goff with, uh, make it to the Super Bowl, of course, and, and work with Sean McVay, an, an excellent coach. Uh, and so surround him with a little bit of talent uh, and see where, where this goes. Uh, optimistic uh, <laughs> Lions fan, you're, you're a rare breed. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, this is kind of the way sports works, right? If you get that one guy, that one real blue chipper who can, who can, come in and is, is that guy it can definitely change the whole environment so you you look at this Lions roster right and we talked about we went through it so even if you have Goff at quarterback then you have Swift Hawkinson you know let's say Amon St. Brown is a decent receiver and then you can add one more in the second or third round and you have an extra first round pick this year from the Rams right so that, that, that right. <laughs> your offensive line is in good shape is pretty secure good players um, your defense is a little weird, but there's definitely pieces there. So if you add a premier pass rusher to that, then, you know, you're off to the races. Now I'm not saying you're, you're going to take down the Packers and, and win the division or anything next year. And you still, you now have Justin Fields who, who looks like he's going to be a stud, but you know, there, there's something there. There's something interesting where if you continue to build up the talent, um, you never know. And I was looking through it and I think something that really surprised me more than anything was this a pretty good coaching staff you have in here too. I mean, so not only do you have Dan Campbell, who everyone loves and 
seems like the right type of players would love to play for. You have my guy, Deuce Staley, who, you know, should be an NFL coach right by now, but he's not, but Hey, that's okay. He's there. You have Anthony Lynn, who has the experience. Um, Mark Brunel is your quarterback's coach. Like that's pretty good. Um, You've got my guy. Legend. (laughs) You've got my guy, Antoine Randall in in the building who uh, knows how to win a couple Super Bowls. So you've got good coaching staff too. And you know, this roster, yeah, it's weird. It's young, but you know, you had that, you had that right piece or two and, you know, it could definitely kind of go from there. Um, Transition in a bit, just to give my outlook, that, that was a great outlook and rundown by Muhammad on the Lions. I, I haven't decided yet if this is a positive outlook or not for the Steelers. So I'm just going to kind of talk it out, Muhammad. You're going to help me work through. It's going to be a little, little therapy for me, and we're just going to see what happens. Um, looking at the Steelers' outlook, so looking ahead, I've been off the Mason Rudolph train since 2018, before he even started all of those games when Ben was hurt. You watch him play, and there there's a number one big lack of kind of awareness in the pocket. Okay, how much time do I have? All right, do I need to get rid of this one quick? Do I not? Oh, got rid of that one too quickly. Oh, got rid of this one too late, whatever. The biggest indictment for me, and I think you can relate watching Jared Goff, is I've never seen someone struggle so much throwing the ball 12 yards into the flat. I, which is, which is just sad because that's supposed to be your safety or check down. Usually it's the throws over the middle that make you nervous. And for whatever reason, I don't know, I don't know anything about quarterback mechanics, except the ball should, you know, come from your hand and you like use your arm to throw it. But whatever he's doing, it takes him so long to throw a five yard pass to the flat. And it looks like it's going so slow when the ball's in the air that I just see a pick six every single time. And it's just <laughs> so stressful. Um, you know, you you kind of highlighted what it was like going against him a little bit where, you know, you weren't too worried, but also like he was doing a little something in the lines. Other than that first drive, I swear, there was only one good throw. And it was like an eight-yard check down on a crosser right in front of him. So, like, it still wasn't that great. Um, he targeted Ray Ray McLeod a lot, who's our kick and punt returner. I don't know what that means for anything else, why he would do that, or maybe it was just because McLeod was so open because the Lions were like, this guy can't do anything, and that's all Rudolph thought he could throw to. I don't know. All I know is Rudolph, isn't it? Um, He is under contract next year. So this was his fourth year in the league. He was set to be a free agent next year. I thought I was done moving forward, wipe my hands of him. Uh, This summer they gave him a one-year contract extension, which – to me signifies like, hey, we're going to give you a chance to be the starter, assuming Ben retires. Now that's the way it's looking, but you never know. You mentioned Brett Favre earlier. Who knows what Ben could do? Um, but yeah, that that one-year contract is, you know, a little scary. And I mean, they love, they love Mason. Kevin Colbert has come out, loves Mason. Coach Tomlin loves Mason. Everybody does, which is very nerve-wracking. Um, so I'm in a very similar standpoint of view where it's like, I have no idea what my quarterback situation is going to be the next few years. Um, other than that, offense is pretty set. I mean, the, the offensive line is obviously very, very young with a rookie at center and left tackle second year guy at left guard. Um, the right tackle, I expect to be a competition next year between just some guys who are in house right guard. I expect to be a rookie probably, you know, one of maybe one of the early picks. Um, 
the defense is still really good. It's still a really good defense. They're consistently holding teams under 20 points, which is incredibly difficult to do. Not getting a lot of turnovers. So I could definitely see with guys like Joe Hayden and Terrell Edmonds being free agents this year, definitely could see a playmaking defensive back like you're talking about with the Lions. Like you got to get that front seven, that pass rush down first. And then those guys back there can make some plays. Steelers clearly already have that pass rush. So they just need someone who can, you know, help Minka take the ball away a little bit. Um, you know, some other guys are free agents, but not anybody, you know, Juju is the other big free agent who I would love to have back. I'm a big Juju fan, but at the same time, the way they game planned him was very Ben specific and I thought limited his ability. So we haven't really seen what a top level Juju could be like since like 2018, really the year before Ben got hurt, he made a pro bowl. Um, so this team probably would be okay. But man, Muhammad, it, it's all it's all to that quarterback. Like you like you're talking about the with, with your team. And oh man, if Mason, if Mason's the guy, I mean Dwayne it Haskins might, is it might be Dwayne, time for Haskins. I would be okay. I mean, there's a chance Ben doesn't play this Sunday night against the Chargers. Uh-huh. I I know they're not going to, so I'm not gonna like sit here and, and screw yell at the clouds for Dwayne Haskins to play because I know he's not. But I would be, it's at least different. I, I think I watched in one of the preseason games, I forget who I was talking to, but I Dwayne Haskins can make that throw to the flat, which is great that I was talking about that Mason just can't right. do for some reason. Um, luckily with Haskins in, in his contract situation, he's on one of those uh, restricted tender options, basically. So the, the Steelers, as long as they tender him a first round option, which I don't know the specifics of how much that is, um, but it's not, you know, crazy amount of money. It's probably right around what they're paying Mason for next year. As long as they tender him that, um, if somebody else decides to, that they want to sign him, Steelers would get a draft pick for him. And he was a first round pick. So they would get a first round pick. So that would be sweet. Um, I'm kind of expecting a Haskins Mason Rudolph quarterback battle next year, which just sounds really, really depressing. Um, <laughs> And, you know, like we were talking about, it's not a great quarterback class. So could they get somebody in the in the third round? You know, there's all these guys that, you know, beginning of the year, you look at the preseason stuff, and everyone's like, ooh, look at all these quarterback names, like happens every year. And then they all drop off because you're like, oh, they aren't that good. Um, could the Steelers grab one of those in the third, fourth, fifth round totally and see what, you know, they might do in a couple of years? But Tomlin has said he doesn't want a rookie quarterback. He's come out and said they want a veteran next year because, you know, clearly he feels as he should that the rest of the team is ready to win and continue to compete. Um, So that's where, you know, and he's been talking about mobility a lot this year. He's like just now learning that quarterbacks can like scramble and move around and stuff, I guess, because he's, you know, watched Ben his whole uh, head coaching career. Um, But, you know, so names like Tyrod Taylor, who's also a a 757 guy, he's from Hampton and, right. Uh, Mike loves coach Tom loves those guys. Uh, could a Joe Jacoby Brissett be the guy? Could a Marcus Mariota be the guy? So while I'm not coming around to the idea, because I think it's a good one, but just from a, like wrapping my brain around standpoint, I think there could be a Mason Haskins QB battle next summer. Um, there's also a chance that, you know, they just find somebody who's a good backup somewhere and, you know, that would probably still be better than watching Mason play 17, 18 games next year. I have a trade proposal for you. We'll oh, give you no. Jared Goff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give us Juju. 
and we'll get we'll add in a seventh rounder. And you'll be set. <laughs> no, I think we're I think I think they're good. I think they're good. Oh my gosh. Anytime anything happens with Watt, like if you like bends the tie his shoe, I get so nervous. I'm like, stand up straight, please be okay. That injury that almost broke me in that lines game. So uh-huh. Minka gets hurt in that game. He comes in the next play. And Watt gets hurt and you, you know, might be back this week, but it sounds like it's, you know, just soreness and, you know, discomfort and not wanting to aggravate it kind of thing. But if we had come out of that Lions game that again, just broke me from a, what is football and why do I watch it standpoint <laughs> and Watt and Fitzpatrick both got hurt in that game. I, oh man, I don't know where I'd be, Mama. Don't know where Dude, I'd be. Everyone was dropping like flies in that game. Mm-hmm. It was, it was crazy see yeah i mean you guys brockers went out you're the and part of the reason you guys reverted back from that heavy look with the tackle eligible was uh that tackle went out who was making all those great blocks so that that was part of why the Steelers were even able to get back into it but yeah man everybody everybody got hurt right um, yeah and the the weather was super weird mm-hmm, it was, it was mm-hmm. pouring down and you know i don't know what was going on and obviously jared goff couldn't pass for anything and and the rain, whenever he did try to pass, it was, it was an awful throw. And, and, you know, Mason's awful. I think we agree. But I think part of why he was struggling as well was, was the, the horde conditions. And I was just looking at the crowd. I was like, there's no way. Like, can you imagine going all out there? And uh, it's like, oh, it's the Lions or 0-8. Like, we'll have a time. Starts pouring. You're in overtime. Tie. <laughs> Gosh, no, I could not imagine. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. When the Steelers are like this, it's hard to decide what would be a good investment of which game to go to. Um, like, like when you're when you're the person that can only pick one game to go to, and you're like, man, what do I? This could be Ben's last year. Like, I'm real. Like, I really want to get to a game, yada. And then you're like, do I go to a game against a good team where I can like watch a really good team play? Maybe you know, watch a guy like a. Patrick Mahomes later in the year or uh, Justin Herbert or something and like Steelers you know let's say they probably lose and maybe it's not a very good game but like I go and I enjoy it and I see some cool football or do I go to a game where they're expected to win like I mean I don't know who that is at this point anymore but you know way back when Derrick Henry first got hurt three weeks ago it was like man that titans game you know the titans aren't very good anymore and you know and then you go and they the steelers lose anyways and you're like man that sucked anyways why did i so it's not a great place to be in not a great place to be in. um all right and your your division uh is super tough yeah so you know, i mean the only just the ravens and you know the the browns sometimes but uh it's everyone's everyone's stacked so and it's so it's always from a league standpoint and like a real division winner standpoint, it's always been really like a two, two teams at a time really going for it. So early in the like mid to late two thousands, the Ravens kind of stepped back a little bit and it was the Bengals, the Carson Palmer Bengals, and then right. a little bit of Andy Dalton doing some good things when he was younger. And then it became Raven Steelers again. Right. Browns were always kind of in the background. They crept back up last year and, you know, became kind of a three team division again and now they're all just beating the crap out of each other and you know on the AFC itself is doing the same thing with no real team breaking away and I mean let's look at the official standings right now because of course the best and worst thing that could have happened this week was 
you know, the Ravens lose to the Dolphins on Thursday night football. And then as a Steeler fan, you're going into the week thinking, man, this would be great. We could secure, you know, the, the first, the first, uh, or first place in the division. And then you tie the line. So right now the Steelers are second, um, and they have seen North and this whole time I've been just rooting for this team to make the wild, like make the wild card, be, be the six, seven seed, get nine wins, maybe squeak out a 10th win. And now you're kind of looking at it like, can this team compete for the division? Because yeah, it's six and three, five, three, five, three and one. Bengals are five and four. The Browns are five and five. And you know, they're beat up from an injury standpoint. So they're in theory might have a tough next few weeks and then could get better at the end of the year. Um, a couple of weeks ago for championship sports media, I wrote about um, my midseason predictions, which included like a brief snapshot of a playoff prediction and what teams were really in it. And I did, I predicted the Ravens to win the division, the Steelers to sneak into the seventh spot as a wild card. The Bengals have a really tough schedule the rest of the way. And when you're a young team and you kind of sputter like they had the last couple of weeks, kind of hard to imagine that they really right the ship at the end of the year, especially as it gets colder and everything. And, you know, the veteran teams start playing like veteran teams and pull these games out. And then Cleveland's just about the injury. So, you know, like you said, they're beating up on each other. It's really close. Um, let's check your, your standings. Real, nope. Doesn't look like the Lions can really do anything, but um, hey man, if we win out, <laughs> you're not even that optimistic. That don't, don't play. <laughs> you're not that optimistic. I know I was, I was really high on the Packers most of the season. And then Rogers missed the game uh, with COVID. And then, you know, I started to waver because I was like, what are those lingering effects going to be? And then Russell Wilson was playing in that Seahawks game. And I was like, oh man, here's where the Packers start to slip. This It's actually going to happen. No, they just, you know, Russell Wilson was actually worse than Rogers and is Packers are going to skate through. Um, all right, Muhammad. What are you? You said you had some lines takes you wanted to fire off or lines or league or whatever. What what do you what do you want to throw off here for us at, at the end of the pod? I just gotta mention the the curse of Bobby Lane. There's some divine intervention that's been going on the past 64 years, something like that. Um, and so for those not familiar with the curse of Bobby Lane, uh he was a Lions quarterback uh in 19 19- in the 1950s and he won us I think one or two AFL championships so we do have some championships under our belt just not recent uh and he got traded I think to the Steelers and he was just like this franchise will never win again uh in 1957 and then 50 years later guess who we drafted Matthew Stafford uh guess what else also happened that year we went 0-16 so like all of the cards aligned. Oh, and guess where uh, Matthew Stafford and uh, Bobby Lane went to for high school? The same high school. What are the what are the odds? It was such a coincidence. And so I, every year I was like, this is going to happen. And so my big take is Matt Stafford wins with L.A. in the next few years, comes back home to Detroit, wins us a championship at age 40. And we ride off into the sunset and I'll be at that Super Bowl. I'll pay, I'll pay $3,000 to go out, but um, I'll, I'll witness this with my own eyes. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back on the map soon. <laughs> wow. That was, that was great. Let me, let me pull this up here. So 1952, 
NFL champs, Detroit Lions. Now let me pull up Mr. Bobby Lane here. My God, this is hilarious. This is so great. Oh, he even kicked a couple times. Look at him. Oh, man, these, these helmets back in the day. Bobby Lane, Robert Lawrence Lane, nicknamed the Blonde Bomber. That probably wouldn't <laughs> go so well these days. But, uh, yeah, those three championships in Detroit. And, yep, came to the Steelers for 1959 through 1962. Uh, let's see. Well, don't feel too bad because the year he came to Pittsburgh, the, his first full year, he did lead the league in interceptions with 21, So, which uh, was the most since his, like, third or fourth year in the league. So, um, I mean, yeah, he definitely won, won that feud because yeah, you guys have been terrible. But I love the Matt Stafford pick. I love the Rams pick. Um, that was my midseason prediction um, for the Super Bowl winner. Of course, they've lost their last two games, but I am very much a talent. I'll win out and kind of figure, figure it out. And um, it feels wide open, man. This is a, it's, a, it, it's a weird year. And yeah, it's just at the end of the day, watching team, you know, if, Head-to-head matchup, what, what do you expect to happen? You can't really react week to week. But I think we can assume that the Lions and Steelers will not be meeting in the Super Bowl. Um, and until that day, my friend, we will just wait patiently. And, hey, I hope all your Matt Stafford dreams come true because you, you've been through it. So I still um, have his jersey. Oh, my gosh. There I haven't it is. worn it. I haven't worn it since the day he got traded, but um, I've been wearing the Calvin jersey. If you if you go to the if he goes to the Super Bowl, are you gonna do the you put tape over the Lions and just write Rams and you have Stafford nine on the back? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. My loyalty <laughs> runs too deep, but I will be cheering for him for the whole season, even though we have their pick. Um, <laughs> Matt Stafford, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> Oh, man, that's great. No better way to go out. So, again, Mama, thank you so much for being here. I, I appreciate your optimism, making me feel a little bit better. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Simon Short Podcast for championshipsportsmedia.com. Check us out. Check out our Facebook page. Get on Twitter. Read everything we write. Uh, it's a great site. So appreciate everybody stopping by. And until next time, thank you very much.